Our scriptures on this Pentecost come to us from the New Testament. The first, the great story of Pentecost is found in the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, verses 1 through 13, and then following in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, ah, they are filled with new wine. From 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of powerful deeds, to another, prophecy, to another, the discernment of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these, are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Max Dupree, the former chief executive officer of the Herman Miller Company, in his book, Leadership Jazz, tells the story about his father, who founded the company back in the early part of last century. Back in, the, in those days, the 1920s, furniture factories were not run by electric motors, but by a shaft and pulley system fed by a steam engine. It was a rather complicated system of boilers and straps and cylinders and steam, and the whole cycle was overseen by a person called a millwright. The millwright was responsible for making sure this cycle of shafts and pulleys and steam was always working so the woodworkers could keep applying their trade. One day, the millwright died. And Dupree recounts that his father, when hearing the news, decided to go to the millwright's house and pay his respects to the family. And when he arrived at the rather humble abode of the millwright, his wife invited him in to have a seat in the living room. There was some awkward conversation 
followed by some even more awkward silence, until finally the millwright's wife asked if, if it would be all right for her to read some poetry. Mr. Dupree consented, so the woman went into the other room and brought out a bound book of poetry and began to read from it. It was actually beautiful poetry, and when the woman finished reading it, Mr. Dupree asked her who wrote it. She replied that her husband, the millwright, was the poet. Upon later leaving the house, Mr. Dupree began to wonder about something. This employee, whose job it was to oversee this mechanical puzzle of shafts and pulleys and who was very skilled at it, had another thing going on inside of him, another passion, another gift. He wrote poetry, and not just poetry, but very good poetry. And it led Mr. Dupree to a question that would forever change the way he looked at every employee that worked with him. And the question about the millwright was this. Was he a millwright who happened to write poetry, or was he a poet who happened to be a millwright? Is there not a poem inside each of us? Some time ago, papers across the country reported that Mark and Deborah Holmes, a couple from Pinehurst, Texas, were out doing a little garage sale shopping when they came across a picture frame they kind of liked. It cost a whopping 50 cents, so with no real idea how they would use it, they went ahead and bought it, and like with most garage sale items, they put it on a shelf and forgot about it. But a year later, as Mark was rummaging through the closet, he came upon the forgotten frame and upon closer examination noticed the contents of the frame. Inside the frame was a poem. They, they had noticed the poem when they bought it, but they didn't pay any attention to it. And, and they certainly didn't pay attention to the inscription at the bottom of the poem. The inscription read, H.W. Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, Mark and Deborah didn't know who this Longfellow guy was, so before they threw the poem out, they decided to call the town library to see if they had any information about this guy, Longfellow. And when they found out that there was actually a poet named Longfellow who had the same initials, H.W., they started calling around to some colleges to see if anybody could give them a hand to see whether or not this poem they had inside their frame was anything special. Turned out it was. The poem was the Village Blacksmith, perhaps Longfellow's most famous poem. And on top of that, the poem had that Mark had in his hands had inscriptions on it and had notes in the margins, editorial notations. It was an original working draft by Longfellow that dated back before 1840. Turns out that inside his 50 cent frame was a million dollar poem. Is there a million dollar poem inside each of us? which I suppose is one of the great wonderings of Pentecost. You, you've heard the story just read, just weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus, which turned the disciples into a shivering, sniveling group of hideaways, and when the resurrection, which turned them into a confused and curious group of mourners, Luke tells us that they gathered in one place, maybe just the 12, maybe more, and suddenly something happened, a sound like the rush of a mighty wind, tongues as a fire, and before they knew it, the Holy Spirit was entering them, and before they knew it, they began to speak 
speak in languages they had not spoken before. Something was coming forth from them that had not come forth before. They discovered gifts they had not discovered before, and they began to express themselves in new ways, and people began to understand them in new ways. No longer were they just Jews. No longer were they just Galileans. No longer were they just the dumbfounded disciples of the Nazarene rabbi. They were now the new expressions of this Holy Spirit who had come upon them, this Spirit who had revealed in them new poems inside their 50-cent frames, new paintings on old easels, new notes from rusty trumpets. No longer were they just this or just that. They had something more. They had a kindling ignited by a new fire, and they were on their way to becoming more of who they were. They were discovering what the Apostle Paul would later describe, the variety of gifts activated by the same Spirit. They were learning one of the great lessons of well-being, that they were first and foremost a conduit of the Spirit's activated gifts intended for the world to experience. The Spirit had implanted in them unique sets of gifts, and it was the Spirit's work now to release them. You and I are a portfolio of gifts awaiting activation by the Holy Spirit. You and I are a kindling waiting to be set fire by the Holy Spirit. You and I are characters awaiting animation from the Holy Spirit. The late Martha Graham, the great dancer and teacher of dance, said it this way, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, she continues, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business, she continues, to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. As the people of Pentecost, we would say that the Spirit is seeking to express herself to the world and to people in the world through the likes of people like you and me, that there is only one of us in all of time, and God chooses our uniqueness through which to express God's self to the world. We are the channel through which the Spirit of God moves in God's effort to reach the world with the good news of God's grace and beauty. And our job, according to Martha Graham, is to keep Keep the channel open to not block it and to not let anything else block it either, which is, of course, what we often do because life has its way of drawing this box around us and says, this is who we are. You are a millwright. You are a fisherman. You are an accountant. You are an engineer, you are a senior citizen, you are a nursing home resident, you are a young person who needs only to get a job that pays you a lot of money, you are a retiree, you are disabled, you are over the hill, you are not of the right background, you are not of the right race and color, you are not our kind, you are not the right gender. And suddenly, there are all these things 
that we're not allowed to be and to do. For heaven's sake, there was not a long, it wasn't a long time ago, and it's still some of this going on today, when we put boxes around women and say that, you know, that there are some gifts that they just cannot use, some ministry they cannot perform. Can you imagine not having these amazing pastors and pastors-to-be? That's a Pentecost thing. The Holy Spirit comes and gathers up our kindling of gifts and sets them on fire. Maybe that's what Nellie Eldridge figured out. They called her the sock doll lady. She was the woman who, was Susan, who Susan Levine wrote about in the Washington Post, the woman who at the age of 104 was living in a nursing home in Fairfax, Virginia, was, but she was not going to let her 104 be her box. She had learned how to sew long before and had made clothes a long time before that, but what, she could, but what could she do now? Well, she decided she would make sock dolls. Somehow she was able to take a boy's Fruit of the Loom crew sock and with a few snips of the scissors and some stitches here and there, make it into a cute, faced, cuddly, slimmed down version of the Pillsbury Doughboy. Each of those little socks got shipped over to the nearby hospital to be given to siblings of just arrived babies a present for brother or sister that they could call their own. By last count, she had made 1,847 of them. Oh, you say, it's just a sock doll, but don't tell that to that three-year-old sister. Who was Nellie when she was younger? Who knows? Maybe she was a scientist. Maybe she was a professor. Maybe she was a seamstress. Maybe she was a teacher. Maybe she was a coach, but it didn't mean she couldn't be something more. She had another poem inside her. We have gifts, writes the apostle, that differ according to the grace given us, which makes me think of Osceola McCarty, who lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, in the house where she had grown up. I've told you her story before. She was an only child, and when her parents died and the rest of her family died, she remained alone in her house with a dog named Dog and a pig named Hog and a cow named Hazel. <laughs> and a Bible she had rebound several times. She worked as a laundress daily taking in people's laundries and having it ready for them at the end of the evening. She barely spent any money and every week she took the rest to the bank. When she turned 88, she told the folks at the bank that she wanted to give the money she had saved away to help somebody. Together they decided to give it to the college nearby, the University of Southern Mississippi. Osceola thought it would be a good idea because you know, she'd never been to college. First, because they wouldn't admit black people and second, because she couldn't afford it. Wouldn't it be nice if people could use some help to go? Unsure of how many more years she had to live, she delivered to the University of Southern Mississippi a check representing her life savings of $150,000. We have gifts, writes the apostle, that differ according to the grace given us. There's this poem inside, right? There's this painting inside. There's this music inside. There's this dance inside. There's this monetary gift inside. There's this own brand of magic inside. John Charity, the great poet and person of letters from the last century said it this way, an ulcer is an unkissed imagination taking its revenge for having been jilted. It is an unwritten poem 
on neglected music, an unpainted watercolor, an undanced dance. It is a declaration from the mankind of the man that a clear spring of joy has not been tapped and that it must break through muddily on its own. Isn't it funny how Pentecost gets such a bad rap among Christian holidays? I mean, the poor stepsister to Christmas and Easter, no carols on Pentecost, no chocolate bunnies, no cards in the mail. You'd have to look a long time at Walgreens to find yourself a Pentecost card. <laughs> but just think where Pentecost takes us. Just think about that unwritten poem, that unpainted painting, that undanced dance, that unplayed music, that unpreached sermon, those ungiven dollars clogging up the arteries of our souls, waiting to be unlocked from our lockboxes, right? Waiting to be released into the world, kindling, waiting for that fire and wind to set the world ablaze with beauty and wonder.